This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to episode four of the Clip City Podcast. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. On today's episode, we're going to be doing a Q&A Last night on Twitter, I posted that I'd be answering some questions. I got a good amount of responses, excited to get into that. I'd also posted a couple weeks ago that I'd be answering questions. I think I answered like four or five of them, but there's some left over that I wanted to address. Uh, but first, I wanted to say that I've made up my mind, and I, I wrote about this three weeks ago, but I was very conflicted on the Lou williams Montrez Harrell debate for Sixth Man of the Year. I know for a lot of fans, it is uh, clear-cut Lou, and I understand that. I respect that, Uh, but I think people were underselling the impact Montrezl Harrell was having, and you know, not just the on-off-court stuff, but you know, the role he plays, kind of the intangibles he brings, Uh, and on top of that, like all the advanced metrics really being decidedly in his favor in comparison with Lou, and I thought you could make a case, you know, Trez has been the best bench player. And I think people kind of forget Lou had that first month, month and a half where he was definitely subpar to the way he's played the last few years. That was, you know, a great stretch for Trez. So I I do feel like Trez has been the more consistent of the two. uh, If you're kind of looking at the the peaks and valleys of the season, Uh, but what Lou has done the past, you know, month, month and a half post trade deadline, it's been amazing. You know, I think the the fact that he's really stepped up the most and it kind of made sense, but you know, the, the Clippers, it's almost as if they took, you know, the 20 points a game Tobias Harris was averaging and just split it among Trez, Gallo and Lou with Lou really being the one stepping up. Uh, I think he was averaging around, you know, 19 points a game before Tobias went out 18, 19 points a game. Uh, he's averaging now 24 he stepped up his efficiency. Uh, you know, Gallo has stepped up. Trez has stepped up. But Lou's really been the guy. And I think what's what's so fascinating with him is you, you saw it last night. He hit that game winner against the, the Brooklyn Nets. But everyone in the arena knew he was getting the ball. And the Nets knew he was getting the ball. And it didn't matter. You know, it, it, he just... Like, you know... I think there, there are so many you know, plays the Clippers run, sets they run, where you know who's getting the ball. And, you know, he still gets the ball in his spot. Or even if he catches the ball a few feet back, you know what's going to happen. You know, he's going to run a pick and roll with Trez or he's coming off a pin down into, you know, a screen from Trez or something else. But, like, you know he's getting the ball. He's getting the – he still gets the ball. He still does what he wants. And I almost – it's almost, like, gone to the point where I I feel like the more difficult the shot, the more likely I think he's going to make it. Like – you know, if he he's wide open or or you know he he's guarded by one guy, you know, small guy, I feel like he's almost gonna miss the shot. But you send two guys at him, you send a bigger guy at him, you know, have him shoot a thirty footer. Like I think it's going in, and and you know I think that's 
really what what's made him you know such a special player uh you know him and a guy like jamal you know a few years ago with, with the clippers was those guys thrive on making difficult shots like they're if you look at lou williams shot selection it is not good shot selection like for most players even some you know a lot of stars those are not good shots uh you know like uh, you know fade away mid-range shots you know double team contested all this stuff like he does not have a good shot selection. You know, we, we got to be clear with that. That said, you know, he's able to make them at an above average rate, uh, you know, and, and under duress and in, in, in clutch moments in, in the last five minutes of a, of a tight game when, again, the entire arena knew Lou Williams was probably getting, you know, the final shot. The Nets clearly knew that, but for whatever reason, they threw a soft double at him. D'Angelo didn't blitz him. I believe it was D'Angelo on, on the right side of that 2-3 zone. Uh, you know, he didn't step up enough and you saw what happened, you know? And, and so in a roundabout way, what I'm getting to Lou Williams to me is the sixth man of the year. Uh, I, I think the debate between him and Trez is no longer a thing. I think the past two, three weeks, Lou has really stepped up. I, I know I've, I've had conversations with people with the Clippers and, you know, with, with other teams and, and other writers and stuff. And, Everyone you know that I've spoken to has kind of agreed with that sentiment that you know for them some people it was Lou versus Trez some people it was Lou versus Sabonis some people it was Lou versus Dinwiddie and, and a few other different guys but you know everyone has kind of unanimously said you know the way what, kind of what he's done since the trade deadline what he's done since Tobias left uh, Lou has stepped up as the clear cut number one option on this team the go to guy uh, you know he's doing this again after. You know, we what this is 14th season. We we've written him off. We kind of like you know Doc had said before the season. Uh, you know, we're going to reduce his minutes. We're going to reduce his role. We want him to be more efficient. We want him to maybe on a per minute basis be as effective as he's been. But you know, they've reduced his his minutes, but his role has only increased. You know, he he's having a better season than last season, which no one thought was possible really. Uh, you know, he had a career year, could have been an all-star, was in that conversation, didn't make the team, and he's come back and had a better season. What, 32, 33? Like, that, that's just, it's amazing. He, he's going to be a three-time six-man of the year winner. Uh, I'm fully on board with this. It took me, maybe longer than some others, but I did think that Trez had a better case than than a lot of people thought. Uh, I think a guy like DeMontis Sabonis has really been in the mix and, and has had a great season. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. I think if he hadn't gotten injured, he'd probably maybe be the number two guy behind Lou. But uh, I, I think Lou has, has run away with this award the last few weeks. And, uh, I'm, you know, I, I'd be very surprised if he does not become uh, the second three-time uh, six-man-of-the-year award winner alongside Jamal Crawford. Uh, now, with that said, with that out of the way, let's get into the Q&A. First question from Deron Swanson. That's at Halos and Clips on Twitter. Will Patrick Beverly be first team defense? He is flourishing as seasons end, but it took a bit to find that rhythm. I don't think Patrick Beverly is going to make uh, first team all defense. I could see him making second team all defense. He's actually third in defensive RPM uh, among point guards. Uh, I do think there's guys that are probably ahead of him. Uh, Chris Paul's missed a lot of time, but he's still... You know, he's still Chris Paul. I think there is some legacy there with that. Uh, guys like Marcus Smart, 
uh, Drew Holiday. Uh, you know, I think there's, I'm, I'm trying to think of more. It, then there's guys like, you know, do you consider Jimmy Butler a shooting guard or a small forward? Uh, you know, he, he's up there in the conversation. Um, it's going to be weird, you know, like Paul George is another guy that probably is a forward, but like, do people try to sneak him in as a guard and, you know, the position eligibility is always a weird thing with, you know, during the award season. And I think this is a position that's clearly front court loaded, you know, with guys like Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert, Joel Embiid, um, Miles Turner, like you, you know, so I I think people are going to be looking to slide some forwards or, or wings into the guard slot if they can. So that could maybe hurt Pat. Um, and I, I don't think, you know, I think something that, uh, you know, might hurt him in addition to that is, is that, you know, a guy like Avery, even though I think Pat had been the better defender pretty much all season. Um, and maybe the one, the one specific thing Avery did better was, was, you know, on ball defense, um, you know, just like pressuring a guy up, up top or making things difficult for him. Like I think Pat was a better defender, you know, everywhere else, whether that was communicating, helping, playing the passing lanes, um, you know, just kind of his intensity and energy and, and, you know, deflections and steals and stuff like that. Uh, But I do think that Avery got a lot of credit publicly, uh, you know, from Doc and, and, you know, some of the, his Clippers teammates. So I I do think that that kind of perception almost, I don't think Pat has had that narrative or that perception around him all season that he's been this, you know, elite, really good defender. Um, you know, I don't think he's been the third best point guard defender in the league. And, and frankly, if you watch the way the Clippers have been using him the last few weeks, like he's actually playing, you know, against more twos and threes and has almost become, you know, long, you know, when he's playing alongside Landry and Shea, he's, he's almost the three defensively. Uh, and I've, I've talked to some people on the coaching staff about that. Like they, they're considering him their defensive small forward now. Uh, and, and not really a defensive point guard. So I do wonder, you know, I, I think Pat deserves to be in the conversation. I think he, you know, off the top of my head, just kind of looking at some of the other candidates, he probably makes sense as a all defense second team guy. But uh, I, I do think there's, there's always politics in this. There's always narrative. And I don't think Pat has either one of those two things on his side. Uh, but, you know, it would not surprise me if he does end up making it, especially with the way he stepped up, uh, you know, post-trade deadline, defending Paul George, LeBron James. I mean, he's defended everybody. And, you know, guys five, six, seven inches bigger than him, 30, 40, 50 pounds more than him. Uh, and he's done a really impressive job. So I think Pat is in the conversation. I do not think he makes first team. If he does make a team, I suspect it will be second team. Uh, this one is from Jimmy... Hugh Lee, I apologize if I don't say that correctly, uh, at Hey, it's Jimmy L-E. Uh, I'm really loving Gallo. If we do go for two maxes, will we have to sell low? Any chance we keep him? Now, I covered this in my article around Christmas time about you know the, the path to getting Kawhi and KD. Uh, now, Tobias was a big factor in that, you know, in those paths. So the Tobias cap hold will be gone. Uh, you know, Landry will be on the books for next year. Avica, they'll probably extend him the qualifying offer. So at least the qualifying offer will be on the books. So it's not like they just cleared out that cap space fully. But 
Gallo, I, you know, my, my gut and, and my, this has been my gut for a bit. My gut is they're going to move him. I, I really don't see a scenario that they get two guys in which he's on the team next season. Uh, I still think even if they get one guy, there, there's a chance they can move him. Uh, you know, at this point, I, I would say it's probably over a 50% chance he gets moved. I think there's going to be teams like Utah, uh, Sacramento, you know, d- different different teams that uh, I think will have cap space and, and maybe strike out in the free agency game and, and be looking for, you know, a guy like, you know, just thinking about put Gallo on, on Utah right now and uh, you know, put favors on the bench. Uh, and you know, go with Gobert, Gallo, uh, Ingles, Donovan Mitchell, and, and Rubio. It's a pretty damn good lineup. Uh, you know, or put him in Sacramento. Uh, you know, you could go Collie Stein, him, um, Harrison Barnes, or Bogdanovich, and uh, you know, Buddy Heald and and De'Aaron Fox. Like, I think that makes them a much better team. So I think there's going to be teams looking to get Gallo, and, and the Clippers can trade him into space. And that's going to allow them to either get two stars or potentially bring in, you know, a secondary guy like a, a Vucevic, uh, a Kemba Walker, um, you know, who knows, maybe they get Kawhi and Jimmy, something like that. Like, I, I think, you know, I, I think we tend to be prisoners of the moment and you do have to really factor in like Danilo Gallinari has really struggled to be healthy for, you know, the past five, six, seven years. Uh, one healthy season does not change that history. I think, you know, if anything, him being healthy this season might make it more likely he's unhealthy next season. Uh, so I think if I were the Clippers, I would be looking to make some type of move just to secure a, a healthier and more stable core. But at the end of the day, if, if it just ends up they get Kawhi or, or Jimmy or, or, you know, some type of star and keep Gallo, like I think that's a great alternative and, you know, maybe has just as much upside. Like Gallo is... I don't want to understand how good Gallo has been. Gallo, Gallo is the Clippers' best player. Uh, he's their most complete player. You know, he's probably somewhere in that top forty mix, and you know, maybe top thirty-five. Uh, you know, one healthy. You know, everyone has universally sung his praises and and said how good he is. Like he is a borderline elite scorer. He's an elite shooter. Uh, he's a very underrated, above-average defender. I, I, you know, I don't think I could say enough good things about Gallo. A very underrated passer too, but at the same time, you know, he is aging. He does have a very, very bad health history. Um, you know, I think I, you don't like to use the word injury prone, but if you were going to say someone was injury prone, like Gallo kind of fits, like he's always nicked up with something. Uh, we've seen it a little bit this season, though he's had relatively good health. Like, I just would be afraid to attach, you know, hitch my wagon to that uh, for next season. Now, granted, it's only one, you know, he's expiring deal. So in a worst case scenario, like I don't think there's that much downside to keeping him. But if you could flip him for a young player, for a pick, for uh, just to flip him in the cap space and then, you know, have some agreement with someone else where you're going to sign them after that, like I think the Clippers are going to explore that. And I would say that's more likely than not. Um, what are your, now this one is from YP at YP one nine zero six. What are your thoughts regarding the articles last week that mentioned Laker leadership commenting directly about Steve Ballmer and emails and the move to Inglewood? 
Uh, well, it was a bad week for the Lakers. I'll, I'll say that uh, all around. Uh, you know, I, I wrote my uh, Vita Zubats piece about how the Clippers are, are thankful uh, for the Lakers for, for trading for him and uh, how good he's been and how he's transformed their defense. Uh, they basically were officially eliminated from the playoffs. Like, it's not official yet, but basically, uh, you know, it came out that uh, the Lakers considered trading LeBron or at least had those internal conversations around the trade deadline. And uh, th- then this thing came out. Uh, I I don't I don't even know where to begin with this. Like we could pro- this could probably be its own podcast, and maybe I'll have to you know do that and, and touch on this. Like I get it, I understand that. I-, I think you know if you're a Clippers fan and you want to take some positives from this, it is that I think this shows the the Lakers are considering the Clippers more of a threat than ever. And I think if that wasn't the case, this would not be that big of a deal. But, uh, you know, the fact that they were considering moving back to Inglewood and, you know, going to the forum almost to kind of block the Clippers basically from from going to Inglewood, like that to me signifies that the Lakers are more worried about the Clippers than they're willing to admit publicly. And, you know, they could have, they could call Steve Bomber, Steve Balls or whatever the hell they want to call him in emails. But like that, you know, and, that first, I mean, that that's disrespectful. And, you know, I, I don't, I think that's a bad look, but, uh, you know, besides that, I, I think that the biggest takeaway for me was like, they're considering them a threat. They see the potential and them having their own arena. You know, the, La- the Lakers do not have their own arena. You know, they are the primary tenant at Staples Center. Uh, but, you know, they do share it with, with the Kings and, and with the Clippers. And, you know, it's not their arena from the ground up. Uh, I mean, it's semantics basically, but like the Clippers would be having their own arena. They'd be controlling all that. It all be coming basically out of Steve Ballmer's pocket. So I do think that if I'm a Clipper fan, I, the, my positive takeaway is that the Lakers are a bit worried about the Clippers. Uh, I think they're going to be more worried after the way the summer goes. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, 2024 is a while away, so a lot can change, but I do think that that's the biggest takeaway for me is the Clippers do seem to be a little bit worried. Uh, I mean, Lakers do seem to be a little bit worried about the Clippers. Uh, Ramsey Blanche at Ramsey Blanche uh, on Twitter. Did the Clippers dodge a bullet by not signing LeBron this last offseason? I'm going to say no. Uh, I do think that the LeBron backlash has, has been overblown uh, like by any metric, anything, you know, anything you want to look at. He's been a top 10 player this season, if not top five. And I do think that had he not gone down for 18 games with that growing injury, the Lakers would be in that six, seven, eight mix with the Clippers, the Jazz and the Spurs. Uh, so I, I think, you know, if you look at the way the Lakers were playing before he went down, uh, I think they were 20 and 14 at the time he got injured. Uh, they were in that four or five mix. Like, I don't know if they would have, you know, stood up uh, at that level, especially with the injuries they've had since LeBron went down. Uh, but I do think that, you know, I know Clipper fans aren't going to love me saying this, but like, I, I do think that the Lakers would have been in the playoff mix. Like, I, I think you just look at the way they had started to play, the way they had found their groove, um, the way LeBron was playing, like, you know, they did win that game in Golden State and, and they kicked the Warriors' ass. And I, I think, you know, again, with the way the rest of the season played out, 
with the trade drama and the injuries and LeBron declining, you know, since he came back from the injury or yeah, from the injury, uh, I do think there would have been some drop off, but I, I think if he had stayed healthy, uh, even with Lonzo going down and, and you know, in, well, Ingram now out for the season, like that, that would have been tough for them, but I do think they would have had a bit of a cushion, uh, probably over the Clippers and Spurs, maybe not over the jazz, but, uh, yeah, so I think if if you put LeBron on on the Clippers, like I mean this this team was tailor made, I think, for him. Uh, looking at him, you know, so it would have I don't know who it would have been fascinating to see who started alongside him. I would have maybe guessed they they would have put Gallo uh, on the bench and and gone <laughs> Gortat, which is funny to say now. Uh, Gortat, LeBron, Tobias, uh, I guess. Pat and Avery would have, would have started, but they, they maybe would have put Shea in there at some point. But you had more shooting around him. Like Avery, Avery at least, you know, for, for as bad as Avery was with the Clippers, he at least became a respectable shooter that last like month, month and a half. Uh, and, you know, Pat turned things around and has been shooting at an elite level. Uh, you have Lou, you have Gallo, you have Tobias. Like, uh, I think, I think they would have, those pieces would have fit a lot better. You know, Mike Scott, another shooter, like those pieces would have fit a lot better around LeBron. Uh, I think you would have had a, a better pecking order where, you know, LeBron, then Tobias, then kind of Lou Gallo tied for third and then Trez, and, you know, in that fifth spot. And that's a really, that's a really, I mean, just thinking about that lineup, like, you know, you would have effectively had Tobias at the two. Uh, closing games probably with with Lou, Tobias, LeBron, Gallo, and, and Trez, and that would have been both a big and small lineup. Uh, you could switch a lot, and that, I mean, look, if if the Clippers have LeBron, uh, I think they're probably, I mean, they're for sure a top five team. They're maybe even a top three team in the West. I, I would say they're probably on par with Denver, maybe. A, Again, it depends what you know. What version of LeBron you're getting? Does he still get injured with the groin? If you're saying the season plays out the exact same way as far as his health and his production, uh, I yeah, I'd probably put the Clippers at like third. You know, maybe fighting for second. But I mean, I I think they dodged a bullet in the drama factor and the fact that it's looking like the Lakers are going to struggle to find that second star unless they trade for someone. But if we're being completely honest here, like LeBron James is still LeBron James. I don't think, you know, I don't think he's the best player in the world anymore, or at least not the clear cut. But he's still a top five, top seven player. Like you always want one of those guys on your team, uh, especially a guy like him who is unselfish. And you know, you could make a lot about the locker room stuff, but uh, I still, you know, the team, the Lakers have been a much better team with him on the court, they've been a playoff caliber team with him on the court. I think if you replace the Lakers core with the Clippers core, that's a very dangerous team. And I think he would have, I think he would have gotten along better with, with, you know, a a older, a bit of an older group with the Clippers, uh, you know, a group that fits him better and, and, you know, playing with doc and stuff. I I think doc is a coach he would respect uh, more than Luke Walton. So I, I, you know, I don't think the Clippers dodged a bullet there, uh, but, I, I, you know, I think they're, they're making the best of, of the situation. And if they get Kawhi Leonard or, or Kevin Durant or whoever this summer, I think they're going to be in pretty much the exact same spot they would be if they had gotten LeBron. So, uh, I, I think, you know, we can't really tell, uh, how that's going to play out in, until after the summer. Um, this one's from big Ben 
at step back tree. Uh, which team do you think the Clippers have the best chance of stealing a game or two against, depending on what seed they finish? Also, what do you think their playoff rotation will look like? Okay. Uh, I think the clip, the, I think, you know, so the one and two seem to be locks right now. It's Warriors and Nuggets. They could flip-flop, but it'll probably be Warriors one, Nuggets two. So if you're looking at three through eight, uh, I think I think the team I'd want to play the most is the Spurs. I think they're the worst of the of the three through eight. That said, there's almost no scenario in which the Clippers and Spurs could play each other. So if you're looking at, at you know, realistically, everyone else uh, in that like three through seven range, uh it would probably be Portland. I, I'm not a Portland believer. I think the Clippers in 2016 should have won that series, would have won that series, had Chris Paul and Blake Griffin both knock on down in, in game four. Uh, I think the Clippers exposed the Blazers and really set that blueprint of how to beat Portland. You know, it's it's blitzing Dame and, and CJ and really taking the ball out of their hands and making everyone else become playmakers and scorers. And I just don't think they have the personnel to do that. And you know, maybe they get hot for a game or two and, you know, Mo Harkless or, or Alfred Camino burns you. But in a seven-game series, I don't see that happening enough for Portland to win, uh, you know, four times. and uh, Or, you know, it'd be tough. I, I think it'd be a six or seven-game series with, with them and the Clippers. Uh, I, I think the, the Blazers did win the season series 1-3. But three of those games, uh, you know, were all within five or six points. Uh, the Clippers could have, you know, they went one and two in those games, but they easily could have gone two and one or three and zero. Oh. Uh, so for me, I, I would say Portland would be the the best team, uh, or you know, the the best chance of stealing a game or two and, and potentially even winning the series. Uh, if you're relegating them to the seven or eight seed, well, I think it's a no brainer. The Nuggets, like. I'm still on the bandwagon that if they play the Warriors, I think it's going to be ugly. I think people forget how dominant the Warriors have been in the Kevin Durant era in the playoffs. Like it's hard to win one game against them in a series. Uh, you know, they, they have slipped up a little bit at times, but you know, they're freaking dominant and you know, it, it's one thing, you know, they're already really, really good. And I think people are underselling how good of a season they've had despite their record. Uh, like when they play those, you know, when you're playing Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, and Clay Thompson, forty to forty-two minutes a night, you're pretty much unbeatable. And you know, I, I think that for a team like the Clippers, my my one concern would be, you know, historically teams with you know teams with more well-rounded, you know, depth and teams that kind of rely on multiple scores. Um, tend to kind you know you've seen it you've seen them struggle a bit you know you had that nuggets that 2013 nuggets team which in a lot of ways is similar to the clippers though you can maybe make the case like andre Iguodala is better than anyone on this clippers team you know that version of andre uh they lost in the first round uh i'm trying to think what other teams come to mind like i i just think you know when, when you're it's in the playoffs, it does become a lot about matchups and, and having guys who can score under basically any circumstance, any defense. The Clippers do have that guy in Lou, but you know it, it's hard to just say you're going to rely on a six-man to, to win a series, especially against the Warriors or even win a game. So I'm, I'm, I'm a pessimist against the Warriors. Uh, the Nuggets, I, I think... I would go five or six games. Like I, I think the the you know the Clippers actually have more playoff experience or about equal playoff experience uh, when looking at the rotation compared with the Nuggets. Uh, I do think 
they could steal at least one game and maybe even two. And at that point, you know, once you start getting into the the game six range, maybe it goes seven or maybe the Clippers win. Like, I think another advantage that the Clippers are going to have uh, that people haven't really talked about as much is is their road record. Like the, the Clippers, I think, have the sixth best road record in the NBA right now. And, you know, you look at the the five teams ahead of them, it's it's the it's the Nuggets, it's the uh or I don't even think it's the Nuggets, it's it's the Warriors, it's the the Thunder, it's the Bucks, it's the Raptors, like it's the elite teams in the NBA. And the, the you know, so the Clippers I, I think it's actually to their advantage that they're a better road team because they're not gonna have home court in almost any scenario in the playoffs. So the fact that they're gonna have to go in and, and win in a road environment, you know, they've done that. They've beaten a lot of good teams on the road. So I think that kind of plays to their advantage. Uh so I would say the Nuggets, the Nuggets or Blazers would be who, if I was the Clippers, who I'd want to see in round one. Uh, playoff rotation, this is fascinating because Doc had said a couple games ago that he was going to stick with the 10-man rotation. He's not going to change things because this is you know what got them here and he, he wants to roll with that. Like, why would he change that? Uh, I don't believe that. I think Doc, you know, if you look at what he's done in the past, you know, Doc has always, at least in LA, always gone with these two units and, and he loves, you know, and it, almost to the Clippers detriment at times, uh, I will say, I think that, you know, the hockey, the hockey thing works when you're a really, really deep team. And, and this year's team is a really, really deep team. I think they've been able to pull it off. In most cases, you are seven, maybe eight deep. Uh, you know, some of those Clipper teams, uh, the Lob City years were like six deep. And if you're still playing 10 guys, like you're playing guys, you probably shouldn't be playing or shouldn't be playing more than like, five minutes a night and, and maybe they have to play eight, 12, 15 minutes that night. So that changes in the playoffs. But if you look at Doc's playoff rotations, he has gone with about eight guys most of the time, sometimes nine. Uh, I think this team is deep enough to probably warrant nine guys. But I would say looking at like the minutes are going to increase for Gallo, Lou, Trez. Uh, I think Landry and Shea will, will go up minutes wise. I think Pat's going to play a lot. And I think maybe the, the one guy who might play less is Zubats, just depending on the matchups and how he's faring defensively against, you know, if a team's going really small, uh, like I could see if they play Golden State, you know, they go to that, they go to the death lineup, the Hamptons five lineup, uh, or, you know, Boogie gets him in foul trouble or, or something like I could see a scenario in which Zubats plays a little bit less than he's been playing. But in almost any scenario, like I, I think you're going to have to play Gallo, Lou, and Trez like 35 plus minutes a night. Uh, my concern with that would just be they haven't really done that this season. So I wonder how the increased, uh, you know, increased energy, uh, in, increased just playing time kind of affects them. Now, the, the advantage of the playoffs is you do have, you know, at least a one day break, if not two days, depending on, uh, you know, the series shifting and stuff. So that is, you know, it's easier to rest, easier to kind of play through that but I do wonder you know you're probably going to see some lineups that haven't played that much together uh playing a lot you, you know in in the playoffs with the Clippers so uh it's gonna be fascinating but I, I would be shocked if he if he goes with a 10-man rotation I'd be shocked if the second unit continues to play together the way they are uh my guess would be Lou Trez and Jermichael are the three locks off the bench and then it's just kind of a matchup thing with with Wilson or Garrett uh, I, I think Garrett is ahead of him, is ahead of Wilson in the pecking order right now. So Garrett 
you know, he'll probably be in there defending one through three, uh, again, depending on the matchup. But I, I suspect Garrett's probably the ninth guy. And then it's like Wilson, Ty, or, or Sin is like a breakout in case of emergency type situation where someone's in foul trouble or someone gets injured or something. So I fully expect the Clippers to go down to eight guys, uh, maybe nine. I think you're going to see a lot of lineups that fans have been wanting to see more this season. Uh, but, you know, you're going to have to play like it's going to be Zoo and Trez at the five. You're going to have Gallo and, and Jamichael at the four. You might even see them playing together in like a four, three really big lineup. Uh, and, and then the three minutes, I think it's going to be a lot of, you know, if you're, if you're saying Pat's the three right now, it's going to be a lot of Pat. It's going to be some Garrett. Uh, it's going to maybe be some Landry. Uh, and then the backcourt is, is going to be basically Landry, Shea, and Lou. And maybe a little bit of Garrett. But uh, I think you're going to see everyone's minutes across the board probably increase. And I, I think that's... It's going to be interesting to see, like, you know, had, had the Clippers gone with that approach more the season. And, you know, right now I think Gallo's the only guy averaging 30-plus minutes a night uh, since the trade deadline. If you had gone with four or five guys averaging thirty plus minutes, uh, how how would this team fare? How how would they look? You know, and, and maybe staggering the rotation a bit, uh, not going as much hockey subs. Uh, it's, it's fascinating to to think about, but we'll see it in the playoffs. Uh, let's see, Garrett Chorpenning. I just realized I've never said your last name before, but shout out to Garrett. Uh, at GA Chorpenning uh, on Twitter. Season is winding down and Ralph Lawler's games are nearly finished. Do you have any fun stories, moments to share about any interactions you've had, seen people have with him? Well, I'll say this. Ralph is as good of a guy as you think he is. Like Ralph is amazing to deal with. Um, you know, he's someone that wouldn't say I'm, I'm close with, but I've gotten closer with during the season. Uh, and you know, I interviewed him in the beginning of the year for the Clippers, uh, you know, city edition jerseys, the, the, the Navy LA with, with the stars uh, on the side panel. And, uh, you know, cause he, Ralph signatures on that, um, above, uh, above the Jersey tag. And I got to interview him for that and talk about his final season and, and just kind of his expectations and stuff. And since then, you know, every time we see each other, we, we talk, we, we chat about different things. And um, I, I think my favorite moment, which some of you probably know, uh, was when I taught him what uh, what drip drip meant. Uh, that was in Denver. I think it was, it was I want to say, December. Could be wrong. It was December or January. No, no, no it, it, was, it was January. It was early January. And uh, I taught Ralph what what drip drip meant. Um, he he randomly he randomly asked. Uh, I, I did uh, yeah. So he, he was walking onto the Clippers plane to to fly to Denver, and, and the Clippers digital team shout out to them. Uh, took a photo of him, posted it on Instagram. I screenshotted it and posted it uh, on, on Twitter and said Ralph Drip uh, with, with the uh, the water drop emoji. And when I saw Ralph in in the media room uh, pregame while we were eating. Uh, he asked me, he's like, what does drip drip mean? And I just kind of explained to him <laughs> that, you know, it's, it's, it's his style, it's his swag. Uh, you know, it's, 
it's his, kind of his, his confidence, his persona, whatever you want to call it. Um, and he, he didn't really get it, but he, he stuck with it. He brought it up on the broadcast. And, and since then, every time I see him, uh, he's always mentioning drip. Uh, when I'm, you know, when I'm wearing a suit, when I'm going on TV, I don't really like to wear suits normally. It's not really my style, but I like to keep it a little more casual. But when I do wear suits, it's for when I'm doing TV on, on Fox Sports Prime Ticket. And uh, Ralph will always be like, you know, nice drip or, uh, you know, say something about my outfit. And uh, and then when I don't wear a suit, he's like, ah, you know, you're not going on TV today. Uh, you know, no drip today. And I'm like, thanks, Ralph. Uh, thank you for saying you don't like my outfit. Uh <laughs> But, uh, you know, Ralph's the best. Ralph's the man. Um, he, he really is a, a nice guy, uh, you know, v- extremely hard worker. Uh, just, you know, seeing the, the notes that he, you know, takes before games and, and has in preparation and uh, the, the questions he asks and stuff. Like, he he really is, you know, someone who, who takes this craft as seriously as you can. And, you know, he's dedicated his life to this in, you know, 40-plus years and, uh, you know, being with the Clippers for, for that long, like it's, it's crazy. Um, and you know, he's seen, you know, shout out to him cause he, he's seen so much bad basketball and, and so much dysfunction and, and drama and controversy. And, you know, he, he's been one of the, the stabilizing forces throughout all of it. And, you know, now the, the Clippers are kind of, kind of honoring him with the, you know, a final season to be proud of, you know, I really wonder, I, I want to ask him, you know, where this Clippers team ranks in, in terms of his favorite Clippers teams of all time, because I, I think it's got to be up there and, and they're giving him a playoff season. That's, that's one thing he told me before the season or, you know, at the beginning of the season was that he wanted a playoff season. Uh, you know, he wanted to make the playoffs to, to end his, his final season, you know, ideally won a championship, but uh, you know, if, if they made the playoffs like that, that's what he wanted. And you know, the Clippers are giving that to him. So, uh, shout out to Ralph. He's the man. All right. I'm going to get to a few more here. Uh, a few quicker ones. Andrew Hahn, Andrew, the Hahn, my good buddy from ESPN. Where do you rank on the list of Clipper bog staffers? Whoa, boy, that's a tough one. Uh, and then Jade Hoy chiming in, uh, AKA the Arnovitz coaching tree. Shout out to Kevin Arnovitz. His coaching tree is spectacular. And I'm not just saying that cause I'm on it. But if you look at all the people that have come from it, uh, you know Andrew, who asked the question, uh, DJ Foster, Fred Katz, Sirit Sohi, uh, Law Murray, uh, Jordan Heimer, Breen Murphy, Charlie Widows, uh, myself. Um, I know I'm, I'm missing a, a bunch of people here. Um, and I, I apologize to anyone that... Uh, uh, is that... There, there's more. There, there's a bunch of Clipper. I mean, we, we have a deep staff. Uh, I would say I'm towards the bottom. I'm I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be, uh, you know, I'm not gonna be, what's the word I'm looking for here? I'm not gonna be like delusional and, and say I'm at the top because look, Kevin's at the top, uh, and then after that, you know, you could probably go with a among a few different people, but uh, I'll say I'm in the middle bottom. There, there you go. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure where I'm not. I don't like ranking myself in in things, but. Uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a testament to Kevin and his ability to identify talent and, um, you know, like if you just look at that, that staff, everyone has worked in the NBA has worked for major outlets has worked for teams. And, uh, I think has all had their kind of 
uh, writing success to varying degrees. So I, I think shout out to Kevin for identifying talent and, and nurturing it and giving it the, the right opportunities. And, uh, you know, Kevin's a man, uh, Farbod, um, I'm out at you Farbod. So, uh, I don't really want to answer this question, but at Farbod E, I'm not even, I've never even said your last name. I'm not even going to try Esna Shari. I, I don't know. Maybe I said it right. Uh, do you think you have the dopest shoe game among all reporters? Uh, no, I, I think I'm up there. Uh, I actually haven't been buying that many shoes the past like year, year and a half. Uh, I've started to do this thing called saving my money, which, uh, only took me like 25 years to figure out, but I, I think I'm up there. Uh, I, I try to, you know, wear them on TV with, with my suits, which, uh, I know some people have done in, in the past, but you know, I'm, I'm hoping that's one of my differentiators, uh, with, with kind of my, uh, my TV persona, but uh, I, I know, for example, like uh, shout out to Om Young Masuk on, uh, you know, from ESPN, my, my former coworker. Uh, you know, I know he's he's got a crazy Jordan game. Uh, you know, I know it, like it depends what you're saying, you know, what you count as like a reporter, because I think if it's everyone like, uh, well, Nick, I mean, Nick DePaula clearly has, has the best. Uh, like, let's not I mean, he, he's a, you know, he, he's a basketball sneaker reporter. And, uh, you know, like Nick, I, I don't know why I didn't think of Nick first, but like Nick, Nick has the best, uh, I think a guy like Lance Fresh, I don't know if he is considered a reporter or not, but yeah, I think he's more of a, you know, host on camera personality, but he, he's up there too, uh, probably right behind, uh, Nick. And then, I mean, if you're saying like non sneaker guys, cause you know, those guys are sneaker guys. Like I, if you're saying just basketball reporting and you know, I've, I've been doing mainly basketball reporting the past two, three years, not, not as much sneaker stuff, uh, or past like year and a half or so. Um, I would say Ohm's up there. Um, I'm not really sure. I mean, it's tough. Um, it is tough. Uh, I would say I'm up there. I'm somewhere in the top 10, but I'm probably in the five to 10 range. Uh, but I don't know uh, that that's kind of the, the next level of my relationships with reporters is, is seeing their sneaker game and, uh, you know, getting more into that stuff. Cause like I'll see people stuff on Instagram or Twitter and, you know, say that that looks dope, but uh, I'm not, I'm not necessarily keeping track of what everyone has in their, in their closet. Um, so I, I would say I'm in the top ten, but but probably lower in that than uh than some other people. Uh from Chris Merch at Nigel Roxbury on Twitter. Uh what do you project Jerome's playing time to be like in year two? I've gotten a lot of Jerome questions and a lot of Jerome and Landry questions. Uh, I think I talked a little bit about this on a previous uh podcast, but I think Landry like, look, Landry's clearly better than Jerome right now, and he's ahead of him in the rotation. I mean, he's starting, and Jerome isn't playing, so that that's kind of all you need to know. But I wouldn't write off Jerome yet. I know some fans already are. Uh, I think, you know, like some some players take longer to develop than others, and for a guy like Landry to come in as you know a pick in the twenties and and to be starting on a playoff team, like that is a rare, you know, that that is not common. And, you know, for, for Shea to be starting on a playoff team, like that is not common. Like look at the other rookies. They're all, you know, all the rookies having success are pretty much on bad teams. So, you know, for two guys to come in and, you know, be ready right away and be, be ahead of schedule, 
you know, I think that's a testament to them and you got to give them credit and, you know, for their development, the, you know, the Clippers player development, uh, doc for giving them the opportunity, the playing time. Like there, there's a lot of factors that go into that, but just because Jerome isn't ready in year one, I, I think people, people, I think had unrealistic expectations. You know, that was something that I noticed early in the season and before the season, when people were asking me, you know, what role do you expect from Jerome? I was like, I don't really expect him to play that much. You know, I don't see him being a rotation player. I, I don't, you know, I think he might play here and there. He might play like 30 games, but I just don't see a scenario with the depth on this team, you know, unless he shoots the ball at a ridiculous rate. And it's not only connecting on a ridiculous rate, but like firing them up at a, at a reasonable rate. Like I don't see a scenario in which he, you know, he is playing a lot of minutes and that's kind of how this has played out. You know, he shot the ball well, he just hasn't shot the ball that much. Uh, his, his defense has been a bit of a concern, and, and that's to be expected. You know, he's, he's a rookie wing. Um, for next season, I think it really depends on who the Clippers sign. Uh, you know, if it's Kawhi Leonard, it, like let's just say Kawhi Leonard and Jimmy Butler. I think that might be the best, you know, realistic scenario. Um, that's a lot of wing minutes. You know, like that is. And and maybe you 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 try to wean those guys down because you you know you want to preserve them for the playoffs or whatever. But that's like you know a combined sixty five to seventy minutes on the wing, and you know you could, you could go small with those guys and, and play one of them at the four. But you know already if if you let you know let's just say strictly at the two and the three, like already you're at you know if you're at seventy minutes you have 26 minutes remaining and you know late, like unless Jerome makes a drastic development and improvement this summer which I'm not ruling out Landry is probably going to be better you know to start year 2 and Shea is still going to be there and, and capable of playing off the ball um and you know might have to play off the ball with, with Kawhi and Jimmy having the ball more uh in, in year you know year 2 Lou will still be there so you know, you're going to, you know, I could see, you know, right there, just those five players can take up positions one through three. You know, I it would not surprise me if Shea, Lou, Landry, Jimmy, and, and Kawhi, there's your, um, wow, I'm not great at math, but the, there's your 144 minutes, uh, you know, from the, the three positions there. Uh, and, you know, you're still going to have potentially guys like Ty and Sin on, on cheap deals. And those two guys are ahead of Jerome right now in the rotation. So, uh, and then you might re-sign Pat or you might sign another perimeter guy. Like, I think that there's a scenario in which Jerome doesn't play a lot next season. Uh, I think it's going to, again, come down to uh, his defense, his you know, shooting, and his ability to actually get shots up and, and be confident, which I think he's done a, a much better job of throughout the season. But there's still a lot of room for improvement there. So I think it, it's it really is just going to depend on who the Clippers bring in. If they're bringing just, uh, just one star wing or star perimeter guy, then I could see a scenario in which Jerome can find his like eight to 12 minute, you know, niche off the bench. And, and he's maybe the ninth or 10th guy. And, uh, you know, he's playing alongside Lou and, uh, you know, someone else and, and Trez and, and, you know, whoever is their backup for, but, there's also a scenario in which they, you know, what if they bring in, what if they bring in Kemba, like uh, Kawhi and Kemba, then now you, you know, you're moving Shea off, off the ball a lot and playing Shea probably at the two a lot. 
so your your minutes at the two, it's going to be like almost exclusively Shea, Landry, and and Lou. Uh, you know, Lou will play the backup one a bit behind Kemba, and then your three, you're probably going to have to play Landry at some three, and, and then you're going to have Kawhi there. So uh, I think it, you know, it, it's hard to say without knowing who they sign, and you know, I think this is a question we'll be able to better answer in mid July, but. Uh, I think there's a very realistic scenario. Jerome is still on the fringes of the rotation next season, uh, particularly if the Clippers get you know the type of guys they're they're looking for this summer. Um, it has been about forty minutes, so I'm going to call the Q and A here. Uh, I did not get to everyone's questions. I still had about let's see another like ten to fifteen questions I wanted to get to. Uh, I apologize. I will be doing another Q&A soon, uh, probably, uh, I would say, episode six. That'll be more geared towards the playoffs, but I will get back to uh, some of these questions. So uh, if you want, um, if I did not answer your question, uh, you know, you could respond to it, and I could either answer it on Twitter or I will write it up for The Athletic and, and do a giant Q&A there uh, and go more, uh, you know, more in-depth. The first weekend of the NCAA tournament is the greatest betting event of the year. Whether you like filling out a bracket, picking a national champion, predicting first round upsets, or all the above, MyBookie is the perfect home for your March Madness fun. Will Zion Williamson and his teammates cement their legacy at Duke with a title? Can Virginia get past its loss to a 16 seed last year? And can Kentucky get back to the Final Four? If you know the answers, or even if you don't, MyBookie is the perfect place to get in on the action. They have something for everyone, even you, multiple bracket guy. MyBookie has been in business for years. Their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business. And the best part is, they pay you out fast when you win. I'm talking 48 hours. Bet with the best, then kick back and enjoy March Madness while you watch your picks cash. Deposit with MyBookie today with promo code BLUEWIRE for 50% sign-up bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. With my bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Thank you for listening to episode four of the Clip City podcast. If you have any feedback for me, you could reach out to me and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. That's at J O V A N B U H A. If you'd like to read my work, please check out and subscribe to The Athletic. You can start off with a one week free trial, see if you like it and then decide if you want to keep subscribing for the price of a cup of coffee a month. And most importantly, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Blue Wire. Check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, TBD on if it will be elsewhere soon. Uh, I hope so. Uh, five-star reviews are much appreciated. You can search the podcast under Clip City or Blue Wire, and I will talk to you next Tuesday. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.